Grab a seat for me. Man, I love to get to be in greenhouse with you guys. Love it. All right, so if you got a Bible, you're going to be in the book of Acts tonight. I'm not going to tell you where yet because I just want you to be there and not read ahead of me. You're in the book of Acts. All right, so as you're looking for that, I want you to go in your, in your mind back to a memory of a time when you needed to say something. You had something you needed to communicate to somebody. Uh, maybe you were going to talk to a crush for the first time. Maybe you were going to ask out a, you know, ask out a girl or whatever. That moment when you needed to say something super important, but you were afraid that if you opened your mouth, like you might actually throw up instead of say whatever it is you need to say. You've been in those kind of moments. Just show of hands. How many of you know what I'm talking about? If you don't have your hand in the raise, you're a liar. Okay. So, I mean, I, those moments, those are intense moments, right? Where like, you, you know what's got to happen. You're, you're ready. Maybe if you're trying to talk to somebody for the first time, like they're really, really cute and they're sitting next to you in math class and, you know, months have gone by and you haven't learned any math because the entire time you've been trying to force your mouth muscles to form the word high and you have not succeeded yet. Um, but every day you're, you almost say it. You, the person sits down next to you and you're like, and you don't, it doesn't come out. Weird, weird stuff happens instead, but your heart starts to beat like, I'm going to say it. I'm going to count to four. I'm going to say hi. One, and your heart's like in your mouth, like that, right? It's in there, right? It leaves its cavity and moves into your throat and just starts beating in there. You're like, I can't say hi right now because she's going to see my heart and my mouth. It's gross. I don't want to see that. Nobody wants to see that. I remember the, the time that was, there's a nutty buddy on, on the stage. I'm going to leave that down there for you. Um, the time that that, that was that was worse, like the worst, uh, like the the worst time that's ever happened to me was um, when I proposed to Jessica. Right, I proposed to Jessica on top of a building. Um, there was it was a big deal. I don't know. It was a super huge plan. I like it's like go big or go home, right? So we're on top of the biggest building in Tuscaloosa. Uh, she doesn't know I'm up there. I did this huge like master plan of trickery, right? And so uh, me and my best friend are hanging out on the top floor of this building, waiting for. Um, my expected plan to unfurl, right? So she was with some other people who were supposed to be tricking her. It was supposed to be her idea to come to this building because we're, we faked a scavenger hunt. It's very elaborate, right? So she, she bites, she takes the bait. She comes to the building. She tries to bribe a janitor with like three bucks to let her on the roof to take a picture for a church scavenger hunt that isn't even real, right? And the janitor's in on it. She doesn't know that. So she bribes the janitor with $3. They, they let her in the building. Um, I, get the, I get the call from my buddy who's with her saying, hey, we're, we're in the building. We're coming up the elevator like, I know what I'm supposed to say. It's very clear. It's, will you marry me? Like, we've been saying that for decades. Like, we got this. This is not hard. Will you marry me? It's not a hard phrase to say out loud until you're about to walk on top of a roof and this girl that you've been dating for a while is like coming up. Joel knows what I'm talking about. Like, you know what I'm saying? So you, you get up there. So I get up there and I'm standing there by myself on this roof. And any second, Jessica's going to walk out on this roof, not having an idea why I'm up there. I got the suit on, man. I'm looking fly is good, right? And I literally thought I was about to stroke out. Like I was about to have a brain aneurysm and die on a roof rather than actually get engaged. I almost didn't make it, y'all, for real. The door opens. I mean, 
It's a bad place. You're on top of a building. There's no like walls and stuff. It's, it's, you're not, it's not a good place to feel woozy, right? But we've been there. We've been in these moments when we, you haven't been there, some, a few of you. Like, but you, you've been in these moments where you know you need to communicate something. You've got something you have to say. It has to come out. It, it, there's no other option. You have to communicate it. And everything inside of you is screaming at the same time to say something and run. (laughs) We've all been there. But there comes a time in all of our lives when we have to just refuse to back down. We have to refuse to allow the fear inside of us to win. And we have to push over and beyond and through it to communicate what we need to say. We do that for girls. We do that for guys. We do that to talk to crushes and celebrities and whatever. We do it consistently. We push past the fear for a lot of things that matter to us. And those things do matter. There's one time that a lot of us allow the fear to win. It's when it comes to saying something about Jesus Christ, to speaking up to somebody who we know needs to hear the truth that we've come to know and believe and trust with our eternity. We need to say something and we allow the fear to win. I don't want to let the fear win anymore. In Acts chapter 8, where we're going to be tonight, Acts chapter 8, there's a story of a guy named Philip. There's a guy named Philip. He's a believer. He's a disciple. And he's, he's been traveling around telling people about Jesus. And then uh, something really, really interesting happens. And that's what we're going to be looking at tonight. Acts chapter 8, beginning in verse 26. You got Guys, set the scene. He's, he's traveling around, he's, he's minding his own business, and all of a sudden in Acts 8.26, it says that an angel of the Lord said, well, that's just crazy weird enough by itself. An angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, terrifying, um, and said this. It said, rise, now get up, and go to the south. Get up, go south, to the road that goes down from Jerusalem. Get, get up, go south. Then there's the, you know, the road that goes down. Jerusalem's on a hill. There's a hill that goes south off the hillside of Jerusalem. Go get on that road. Walk south to Gaza. Go to Gaza. It's a desert place. That's all it says. That's all it says. Okay? Got instructions. Hey, Philip, needs need you to get up. There's a hill. There's a, there's a, go off the back of the hill. Go south. Uh, take uh, I-85 or whatever south down to uh, Gaza. That's it. It's all your information. That's all you're getting right now. So he gets up and he goes. It says, um, and he rose and he went. And you need to know this about Gaza. Gaza is an important place for one very specific reason and one reason only. Other than this, it's a terrible little place, okay? It is the last place that has water before you cross the desert to Egypt. So if you're going to go from Jerusalem to Egypt, you've got to cross a desert, and the last spot that has any water whatsoever is Gaza. It's right on the edge of a desert. So it's not like this beautiful oasis or something. It's kind of a junk hole, but it's got a little bit of water. It's the last spot where you can get water before you got to cross the desert. Okay? So, so he, angel sends Philip to the last place that has water before he goes to the desert on the edge of everything. So Philip got up and he went, and it says, And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace. Candace was queen of the Ethiopians, and this guy, this Ethiopian eunuch, he was in charge of all of her treasure. All right, so, this, so we got this other, we got two characters right now. We got Philip, we got this Ethiopian eunuch guy. He's in charge of all of the treasure of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. I don't know how much treasure Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, has. I'm sure it's more than I've got, so that's enough. All right, so he's his this, he's this treasurer. He handles all the finances. He's an important guy. Okay. Now the, the eunuch thing, that means he's probably been emasculated. Um, and if you don't know what that means, then cool. Um, basically what that essentially, um, it was a way that they, they thought it made men more trustworthy and it was super terrible. 
It was a terrible thing to do somebody. All right? So that's as far as we're talking about that. Good. Awkward part of message over. So he, he comes on. He, goes, he, says, he says that this, this Ethiopian guy, he had come to Jerusalem to worship. So we've got a really important rich guy who's in charge of all the treasure of a queen of someplace called Ethiopia, right? Her name's Candace. He's in charge of all of her stuff. And he travels across a desert. There's no airplanes, right? It's not an easy thing to traverse. That's like a risk your life sort of situation. Risk his life to come to Jerusalem to worship. So we learn a little bit about our Ethiopian friend, right? That not only is he important and rich and like in charge of all of Queen Candace's treasure, but, but he's risked his life to come to Jerusalem to worship or try, at least try to worship a God. What he would have found out when he got there was that eunuchs weren't allowed inside the temple court, so he wouldn't have even got to go in. And he probably would have known that if he had been familiar at all with Judaism, but he had probably heard about this, this God, this, this people of God and was interested or something he'd come to see. And he'd come a long way to come and see and probably hadn't got very far because they wouldn't have let him in. He's, he's interested, though. Because of the way the story unfolds, we, we're about to come to find out that even though he's interested in God, he's interested in this Judaism thing, he doesn't know anything about Jesus. He's not a Christian, he's not a follower, he's... He's loosely interested at best. Not loosely. He's, 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 he's interested. He's seriously interested, but he's not a follower. He's not a Christian because he doesn't know anything about Jesus yet. All right? So it goes on. It says in verse 28, it says that he was returning. He was going home from coming to Jerusalem, and he was seated in his chariot. If you had a chariot, that's like your own private jet. All right? So just read private jet. None of you have a private jet. This guy's got his private jet, and he's rolling back toward Egypt. All right? So he's seated in his chariot, and he's reading the prophet Isaiah. If you've been, uh, well, in that time, for you to have a copy, like your own copy, of any portion of God's word was kind of insane. It's, it's like hand copied, meticulously, meticulously transcribed by the, these Jewish scribes who knew every letter, like knew how many letters should be in each line, and like it was meticulous, meticulous, meticulous work to copy even, even just a book of Isaiah. So he had, he had take, got a hold of a, a copy of the book of Isaiah. It's going to be this huge scroll, and he's got it up in the chariot, and he's got it open as the chariot's rolling along. Priceless. Like, people didn't have this. Most, most synagogues didn't have this, okay? And so he's got this copy of it, which is very, very hard to come by. And he's rolling back toward Egypt, and he's unfurled this scroll, and he's reading out of it. The book, the, the book of Isaiah is a beautiful book, but it carries special significance for a eunuch. And in just a minute, you're going to figure out he was, he was reading out of Isaiah 53. Three chapters later in Isaiah 56, this is what, this is what God says Two eunuchs in Isaiah. It says, For so says the Lord, to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me and hold fast my covenant, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I'll give them an everlasting name that shall never be taken away. There's this beautiful little portion of, of Isaiah that's written just to people that are in his exact circumstance who've had a lot taken away from him, kind of been entrapped and owned. Three chapters later, where he's reading is this, this, this portion where God's talking about the way that he comes and redeems and saves even those of us who don't, have, don't feel like we have any place in the family of God. So he's reading this book of Isaiah, and it says that the Spirit said to Philip, go over and join the chariot. Go over and join the chariot. 
Now, it says the Spirit said, the Spirit communicated. I'm not exactly sure how that works. It doesn't tell us. It doesn't tell if it was, if it was audible. Maybe it was audible. Maybe inside his heart, Philip heard the voice of the Spirit saying, hey, go over and join the chariot. For me, normally, this is not an audible thing. For me, normally, this is, this is more, of a, more of a nudge than a shove. Where the, the Spirit inside just, I mean, if you're a Christian, you've been given the Holy Spirit. It's the Spirit of God. It's the third person of the Trinity, like, dwells inside of you, who guides and directs and comforts and teaches. Like, so in, for me, when the, when the Spirit's kind of, like, nudging me towards something, it's, it's, so, it's so soft that if I'm, not, if I'm not where I need to be spiritually, if I'm not connected with, with, the, with the Father, like, if I'm not careful, I'll miss it. It's never a show. The Holy Spirit never just like knocks me over and beats me over the head and is like, hey, you need to go talk to them. Now, go. Never does that. It's always this like light nudge, inkling kind of thing, this little stirring inside of me that says, hey, uh, maybe you should do something about that. For so many of us, I think that's the way it normally works, but I also think that so many times we're so distracted and so consumed with everything else that's going around us, rightfully so. Man, your, your, your life is nuts. When I talk to you guys about what you did this week, it's just... It's crazy. Like, you've got sport team stuff, you've got school stuff, and 18,000 different projects going on. I feel like none of your teachers talk to each other. Otherwise, they'd all know you got way too much homework to start off with. Yeah, I'm on your side, right? Like, it just, you're, you're, your world is crazy. And so then when it comes time, I'm saying, hey, if, if your life's too busy or you're too distracted, then you're going to miss the, the nudging, the speaking of the Holy Spirit in your life. And you're like, yeah, probably, because I don't know. What to, there's an awareness that we can maintain. There's a way that, that we, can, we can stay connected to God, especially that, that daily time with God we're always talking about. has a way of, of reminding me and kind of keeping me in, in tune with the Spirit so that, that I, I'm, I'm more aware of these kind of things. When opportunities present themselves, that, that God can, can nudge me and I'll, I'll feel it. You know what I'm saying? So there's times like that where, there's times like that where, where God will come and he'll, he'll kind of give us just a gentle tap towards someone or something. So that, he, Philip doesn't get a gentle tap. He gets a straight-up call, and it says, go over and join the chariot. All right, so Philip, Philip gets up, and he runs over the chariot. He runs to him, and he heard him reading Isaiah the prophet, and he asked this. Look at me, look at me. Philip goes, he hears him reading Isaiah, and he just asks a simple question. I don't want you to miss this. He says, do you understand what you're reading? He just goes up. He's never met this guy. I mean, there's, I mean, no idea. Like, he doesn't know if he's Ethiopian. He doesn't know anything about him. We know, we know more about this guy than Philip does at this point. He walks up to the private jet and knocks on the window and is like, hey, does that make sense to you? That's bold. That's bold. That was probably one of those moments for Philip where his heart's beating inside of his chest because he's not really sure how this is going to go down. I need you to rec- like, just recognize for a minute how different this Ethiopian eunuch is from Philip. Philip's a Jewish guy who has almost nothing except Jesus. About the only thing he's got. And he's traveling, he's walking, he's dirty, he's tired. Then you have this other guy who's from a completely different part of the world, like, would have no way to understand or even conceptualize Philip's background or where he would come from. Philip would be able to conceptualize where this guy came from. They lived across a desert from one another, like completely different parts of the world. This guy's got everything. He's riding a chariot, for goodness sake. Like he's, he's, he's got it made. I mean, as far as wealth goes, he's the exact opposite end of the spectrum from Philip. And the one thing Philip has, Jesus, Ethiopian doesn't have. They couldn't be any more different from each other. 
just want you to imagine, like, just in your head, think about the person, like a, a fictitious person that could be like your opposite, as far removed from your background as possible, that comes, comes into a conversation with you from a completely different point of, of like, just their, where their brain works. I just, it has nothing in common with you, nothing to talk about, just completely, completely different. That's the way this interaction is going to go down. Philip comes up to a chariot. He, he comes to talk to somebody who's completely different from him. And he just asks a simple question. I love the simplicity of that. Do you understand what you're reading? It's an offer of help. Did you catch that? It's an offer of assistance. Not like assistance in a physical way, but with truth. He doesn't jump on the hood of the chariot and start banging on it and yelling at them like he needs Jesus. Hey, you need Jesus. <laughs> he didn't do that. He just walks up and he's like, hey man, I, I hear you're reading uh, Isaiah there. Do you, do you need help? Do you, you understand what you're reading? Does it make sense to you? He just offers assistance. He offers help for the guy to get truth. Is that not what we're supposed to be about? We're not supposed to be jumping on top of t- chariots and stomping our feet and prancing around and yelling at people about them needing Jesus and stuff like Yes, they do need Jesus, but if we can approach this in a way we're offering assistance, we're offering somebody help to come to understand what we've come to understand, let's take that route. I hate that Christians as a whole, I feel like, have become so uh, afraid to offend somebody. We've become so afraid to offend that, that we'll miss even the opportunity for the people who want us to speak. There's something about our culture and the few very loud voices that will tell all of us that, that your faith is not welcome in a public way. Like, it's not, it's not okay for you to talk openly about your faith. Nobody wants to hear that. That's what we're told, that it's, it's, it's unacceptable for you to speak openly about your faith. It's, un, it's unacceptable for you to explain to somebody what you believe because you might offend them because what if they don't believe the same thing you believe and the person talking and telling you all this definitely doesn't believe what you believe. But in reality, I don't, I don't think any of that's real. See, because here's, here's, my, here's, here's my experience. When I, when I bump into somebody, if I try to just engage them in conversation about what I believe and what they believe, and we do that in a respectful and kind way, I rarely, if ever, have anybody balk at that. If I try to engage in a conversation about faith with somebody in a respectful and kind way, that always goes well. Even if at the end of the conversation, like, they still believe what they believe and I still believe what I believe, then that's okay. We still were able to have a conversation without, like, World War XIV breaking out or something, okay? Like, it's just not that dramatic. I think that there's a few loud voices in our culture who have told you something that in reality is not true. I don't think the entire world is radically opposed to your faith. I have a hard time finding hardly anybody that's radically opposed to your faith. I think by and large, the people that don't share your faith are confused. Like, I don't get it. Like, I understand there's something about a cross, and I understand there's some Christians on the news who keep protesting funerals. I don't know what you people are about. Do you protest funerals? I'm like, no, I don't protest funerals. They're like, that's good. That's dumb. Like, I know it's dumb. Like, I mean, some of you have no idea what I'm talking about. There's Christians that protest funerals. They're stupid. Like, I mean, so there's got to be something... We're not going to go that. We're not. That's that's as far down that rabbit trail as we're going. All right. Ask your small group leader. Um, yeah. So uh, there's just. I mean, like, 
Most of the time when I come in conversation with somebody and, and, and they, don't, they don't share my faith, they're not a Christian. When we start talking, usually they, they have kind of a loose idea of what Christianity is about. And when I start offering, if I just offer to explain it and fill in some holes and kind of put some weird pieces in an arrangement and take out this other thing they believe that's wrong, they're like, no, 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 no. We don't, we don't believe that. That has nothing to do with Christianity. Like, this, this is it. We believe that we were messed up and there was a God who came for us and sent his son here who paid for all of our mess so that we could be forgiven. They're like, that's it? I'm like, yeah, pretty much. That makes a whole lot more sense whenever I thought you yahoos were doing. I mean, all right, it's just nobody's mad. And I think we've been told that the whole world is mad. The whole world is radically opposed to what we believe. There's no place for you to just be able to explain in an honest dialogue, an honest, kind, respectful dialogue, what it is you think. In reality, that's complete wrongness. Censored. I hate that Christians have become so afraid of offending because if you do it in the right way, man, if you just offer help the way Philip's offering help, you're not going to offend anybody. You're just going to help them. Hey, do you, do you understand all this? I mean, I know you go to, uh, you, I know you know that I go to greenhouse on Wednesdays and I'm a Christian and stuff, but like, do you understand the whole Christianity? Can I, can I fill any holes for you? Can we, can we clarify anything? I think a lot of you, just being honest, if, if, you're not, if you're not a Christian right now tonight in the room, if you came in, I think the reason most people come to Greenhouse before they're believers is because you're interested. You'd like some answers. You'd like to have some of the pieces about what it is that we believe and why there's this hope that we have. You'd like some of that arranged for you. You'd like answers. We would love to give you answers. We'd love to give you an explanation of the hope that we profess. We'd love to do that for you if you'd let us. We want you to have the answers you, you hope for. The rest of us, man, Christians in the room, if you're afraid of offending everybody, why? Has it really ever gone as wrong as you're afraid it would? Philip walks up to a guy completely different from him, riding in the, the Learjet, right? Knocks on the window and says, hey, do you understand what you're reading? And this is what he says. How, how beautiful, how honest is this? He says, how can I unless somebody guides me? Isn't that true? How can I unless somebody guides me? He invites Philip to come sit with him. And in the passage of scripture he was reading was this. It says, like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. And like a lamb before its shear is silent, so he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. It's this beautiful passage in Isaiah that's, that's pointing ahead to the coming of Christ, who has, at this time, just come. Like, this has just happened. And the eunuch says to Philip, he, he turns and looks at him, and he just has an honest question about the Bible. They're having Bible study in a chariot. Just, he's asking, he says, about whom does the prophet say this? Is he talking about himself, or is he talking about somebody else? That's just an honest question. And if you haven't been around our faith for forever, you wouldn't know. So he's just asking an honest question. I'm just trying to figure out this text here. Is this about the guy who's writing it or is he talking about somebody else? Because it feels like it's about somebody else. And then Philip breaks breaks into a smile. Because as God would have it, he's reading this perfect passage. Just open up and explain how Christ was the fulfillment of prophecy, the promised Messiah who came to save the world. It sounds so easy, it almost sounds fake. That this guy's like, hey, I'm reading this passage about Jesus. I need somebody to help me understand it. Like, does that, does that really happen? I think that happens. 
I think that sometimes there's people in your life that actually that want answers about what it is that you believe, who kind of have a couple of chunks of what Christianity is about, but they can't come to faith in Jesus, not because they're mad at him or something, because nobody's helped explain it to them. I think that happens to you every day. I think every time you walk in your school or walk onto your sports team field or play a trumpet next to somebody in a band, like I think there's people all around you who are exactly like this guy who's like, Hey, what's this mean? And they're just looking for somebody to help them. Meanwhile, we're so scared of offending that we miss every one of those opportunities. Christians, do you remember when the gospel didn't make sense to you? Do you remember when you didn't have all the pieces arranged just right? Do you remember if I, when there was a time when you would think about the fullness of, of the story of Jesus and why Jesus came and stuff, and there was a little bit of muddiness till it wasn't quite in focus? Do you remember that? Some of you are still there, just being honest. You don't quite have it all arranged. It's not quite in focus. You can't explain it simply and straight. Do you remember that somebody came and explained it to you? If you've made it past that point, if you made it past the point where the gospel was a little bit confusing, do you remember when somebody explained it in that different kind of way and it all clicked into place and it just made sense? Do you remember that moment? Do you remember how exciting that was? Like, oh, that's what it is. That's why I had to die. Got it. That makes a whole lot of sense. I've been confused about that since, like, I was born, right? I want you to be that for other people. I want you to be the one who's, who's putting the pieces in place and, and helping them arrange it and helping the gospel come into focus so that they can believe in the Savior of the world. They're not opposed. They're confused. They just need some help. Help them. And if you came in the room a little bit more like the Ethiopian, you came in here looking for answers, and you know that. I would say this. This guy, he, just, he looks at the passage. He looks at what's going on, and he's like, hey, I have an honest question. It may be a little bit elementary to you, Philip. I know that you've apparently been hanging out with Jesus for the last three and a half years. I'd just like to know, is this passage talking about the guy who's writing it or someone else? He's not embarrassed. Yeah, it's a pretty elementary, simple question. But it's a huge question, so we just honestly ask the question. If you came in the room and you got questions, ask us the questions. Those small group leaders you meet with every week, they would love to help answer questions. If that kid that invited you is not very smart, ask the adult instead. I'm just kidding. Sort of kidding. The Ethiopian wasn't embarrassed. You don't need to be embarrassed either. Ask the question. Verse 35 says, Then Philip opened his mouth, he began with that scripture, and he told him the good news about Jesus. He explained Jesus. That's our job. Students, listen to me. If you're a Christian room, lock eyes with me. Your job is to explain Jesus. Your job is to introduce people to the Savior of the world. Your job is not to be a nice friend for somebody who makes them feel good about themselves. Your job is not to be the sweetest kid in your class. Your job is, not to, is, is never to make any waves and live a nice little cute little Christian-looking life and never tell anybody about Jesus because you're afraid you're going to offend them. Offend them. Risk it. Your job is to introduce people to Jesus. Your job is not to be a nice kid. Philip stops, and he starts with that passage, and he explains Jesus. He spoke truth. He didn't befriend him. We're people of truth. We believe something that is based on facts. We have to communicate the facts. We can't simply just help people be happy and meet needs and never actually get around to the gospel. So I'd say this, just as a point of application, I would say to you, Christians, recognizing that your job is to introduce people to Jesus, to explain the facts, to help ex- 
people understand. I'd say this, give good instructions. Do your best to give good instructions. In our game earlier, right, there's, there's a person who has kind of the roadmap, who has the picture that we're trying to get somebody else to emulate. And if you're going to do that clearly, then you have to speak clearly. And you can't just describe the way the teeth look. You have to describe the full picture of it. You have to speak clearly and you have to speak completely. And if you're going to do that about the gospel, that means this. You need to be prepared. Is it, is it, is it worthy of the gospel for us to say, you know what I'm, I'm going to do? I'm just going to wing it. I got this, man. I've been in Sunday school since I was like negative one. I got this. Have you ever tried to just sit down and explain the gospel end to end? It's hard. It's really difficult to do. Do I want you to skip it if, if, you're, if you haven't practiced yet and somebody, an opportunity presents itself? No. Give them your confusing, rambly version, all right? Give them that. That's great. But I'd prefer you to be working to make that long, rambly, confusing thing clearer and clearer and more and more complete. I had a friend, uh, well, it's not really a friend, it was this guy um, <laughs> I was in college with. He was kind of dumb. I didn't like him very much. Uh, and uh, we played racquetball together. Racquetball is a weird game. Um, you're in this box and you hit a ball. It's weird. Um, there's like walls and glass and a hard floor. And we were between games and there was me and this dummy and uh, another friend. And uh, he's, he's like, um, he just randomly out of the blue, he said, you know what I've always wanted to do? It's not going to end well. You know what I've always wanted to do? What have you always wanted to do? I've always wanted to be able to run up a wall, like do a backflip. I was like, really? <laughs> cool. Like, you ever done gymnastics or anything? No. Did you ever cheer? No. I'm like, okay, man. I'm going to try it. This is like a gym floor. This isn't carpet. This is like hardwood. It's like, I'm going to try it. He's real athletic. Like, he's like Jake Russell kind of athletic. Like, even like weird stuff, right? That's what Jake does. That's my impression of Jake, right? Like, he was one of those kind of guys that he might be able to pull us off. So this dude takes off running. He's all like lanky and stuff. And like, he takes off running at a wall and, uh, and starts running up this wall. Like, legit ran up a wall. Just like, like, took like three good strides up this wall. And leaned his head back and did this. <laughs> so he got three solid strides up a wall. He's just like eight feet in the air. And lays his head back and, just, and then plummets to earth like a beached whale. Skinny people landing on hardwood floors from eight feet in the air makes an awful sound. All his little bony ribs and spine just right there in the middle of the ground. I want to tell you that I went and helped him or like did anything. Instead, I stayed right where I was and I laughed <laughs> and I laughed. I couldn't stop laughing. This was like those times when like you can't breathe, you know? <gasps> okay, I can laugh some more. And you keep going again, right? Your face hurts, your sides hurt. I just laughed. That dude decided with no coaching, with no spotter, no backup, nothing. He's going to go run straight up a wall and pull a backflip. That's going to go well, man. I got this. And man, I, we laugh, but some of us, some of us know, this is what you know. You know that you have placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And that he has died on a cross to pay for your sin. And that because of that truth, because of those facts, that you have been saved for eternity. 
And you know that just saying those like 40 words I just said is not enough, that there's a whole full explanation of that for somebody to be able to do the same thing you've done. And instead of practicing it and preparing and trying to figure out ways to to explain it clearly, you take three strides up a wall and expect that this is going to go awesome. And it's not. Is it not worth practicing a little bit? Is it not worth preparing some? Man, I think you should have the Romans Road like in a, in a note in your phone. I think you should have like a gospel bracelet on or the color order memorized. I think you should practice this stuff in the mirror. I'd had to. For me to get comfortable sharing the gospel, I had to audibly practice it. I still do it. Man, sometimes I'm walking around by myself and I just preach the gospel to myself just so I can not be awkward about it or confusing in some kind of way or leave something important out. Is it not worth preparing? Philip steps up, he explains Jesus, and in verse 36, it says, as they were going along the road, they came to some water. Remember, this is the last water before the desert. It's the last, last possible spot. And the eunuch said, hey, look, there's some water. What prevents me from being baptized? <laughs> um, I love that. That Philip's explanation of who Jesus is and what he had done went all the way from Isaiah 53 all the way through baptism explain the whole line of it and how it all fits together and it all has meaning and purpose and significance. And it came to a point where that guy had heard Philip's explanation, had asked whatever questions he needed to ask, and came to a point where he had trusted Jesus with his eternity and asked to be baptized out in Gaza, out in front of everybody. By the way, we've got two or three students that are scheduled for ba- or getting scheduled for baptism soon, so if you've trusted Jesus and you need to get baptized, then... Here's some water. What prevents me from being baptized? We should talk about that. Then verse 38, he continues, and this, our band comes up. This is, the, this is our, our last verse that we're looking at. He commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, and Philip, the eunuch, Philip and the eunuch, and uh, goodness, I'm going to read this over again. Verse 38. He commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, which is crazy, and the eunuch saw him no more. But he went on his way rejoicing. That Ethiopian's eternity changed when Philip was sensitive to the Spirit's leading. That little nudge, or in Philip's case, more than a nudge. He was sensitive to the Spirit's leading, and he was, he was obedient. He stepped up. And he didn't just step up and, like, befriend him and try to turn a conversation or have some cutesy phrase or, like, ask him if he wanted a cup of water or something. He just went straight at it and told him truth, explained Jesus, introduced him to Christ. Christians in the room, two things. Are you being sensitive to the leading of the Spirit? Are you allowing God to show you opportunities where there's people around you that may be open to hearing the gospel, but are you being sensitive to that? And second, are you ready? Are you ready to introduce somebody? Are you you doing what you can to be ready to be able to, to say what you need to say? Because at some point, an opportunity is going to arise, and your heart's going to be inside your mouth, and if you're not ready, you're going to do one of these. I don't want that for you, man. I want you to be able to to say it clearly. I want you to introduce somebody to Jesus and then to be able to make make sense out of it. Be ready. Do the work. Put some notes in your phone. Organize your thoughts. Write it out. Rehearse it in the mirror. This is worth it. If that school project where you were like obsessed and obsessed and obsessed over it, if that's worth it, eternity for people is worth it. Put in the effort. Do it. 
And if you come in here every week in Greenhouse and you're not, the, the pieces of the gospel haven't really made sense to you and you've still got questions and it, it's not all lined up, it's still a little bit fuzzy. I need you to know it's been fuzzy for all of us before. And somebody took time to sit down with us and answer our questions so we come into focus and we've, we've, we've found it to be true and good. And our eternity, our lives have been made new. We found forgiveness and hope and peace in the gospel, the story of what Jesus has done for us. And we want that for you too. But we can't answer your questions if you don't tell us what they are. So just as this guy was bold and just like, hey, I've got a simple question. I just don't get this one thing. Can you help me out? Do that. Ask the friend who brought you. Ask the adults, like whatever, man. Ask us what you're, what you're confused about. Ask you what you're struggling with. And we, we would love just kindly and respectfully tell you what's true out of God's word. We've got to be people about truth. We've got to be people about Jesus. We can't just be nice kids. Are you introducing people to Jesus? Stay with me. As our band leads, I think, I think now might be a time of commitment for some of you, where if you're just being real honest, if you're just being real honest, uh, you'd have to say to God, hey, one, I'm not listening at all for opportunity to share. I don't care. I don't want to. I'm terrified of it. I'm out. Talk to God about your unwillingness. For those of you, you're not ready and you know it. You're so scared of trying to explain this stuff. You just need to commit to God right now that you're going to go home. You're going to take some notes. You're going to start figuring this out. Others of you, you got questions. You need to ask your small group when, you, when you're dismissing them. And you need to ask your small group, your small group leader, or me, or I don't care, somebody. Do the work. Act on it. Do it. Let's worship.